Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we are going to look at Last Epiphany. Last Epiphany. Now, what in the world is Last Epiphany? The last Sunday after the Epiphany precedes Ash Wednesday, which precedes the first Sunday in Lent. Quick refresher course. We begin the liturgical year, not the calendar year, the liturgical year, with the season of Advent, four Sundays in Advent, four weeks in Advent. Then we celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th. Then we may have one or two weeks of celebrating Christmas. After Christmas is Epiphany. Now, the Epiphany is January the 6th, and it celebrates the coming of the Magi to offer gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12. Then the weeks following the Epiphany are the first Sunday after the Epiphany, the second Sunday, the third, the fourth, the fifth, and then we go to the last. There could be up to eight weeks depending on when Easter is, and then you back everything from that date. So we're now at the last Sunday after the Epiphany, so this is going to be the week of last Epiphany. Now on Wednesday, we celebrate Ash Wednesday, where we prepare ourselves, we begin to prepare ourselves for Lent. Lent has five weeks, first, second, third, fourth Sunday in Lent, week in Lent, and then we have Holy Week, And at the end of Holy Week, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, which we call Easter. Then we have the liturgical season of Easter for seven weeks. And then we have Pentecost. Then we have the Sundays after Pentecost. And that goes all the way to the last Sunday after Pentecost, much much like the last Sunday after the Epiphany. And then we start Advent. So that's the way it works from Advent to the end of the season. We are at the last Sunday after the Epiphany the week of last epiphany, and you'll notice that we have Deuteronomy, Jonah, selections from Hebrews, selections from Titus, and in this week, we are looking at John's gospel except for Luke 18 on Ash Wednesday. So, I hope that you'll enjoy each of these days, and I hope that you'll enjoy Ash Wednesday, and if you participate in a liturgical church or have an opportunity to go to a church that celebrates Ash Wednesday, it's a very beautiful day where you're anointed with the ashes on your forehead, and then you later come and receive communion. But it's an opportunity to think about where you are spiritually in your spiritual life, and it's a season in Lent, which I will talk about next week, of prayer and fasting, confession, uh, an evaluation of where you are spiritually before the Lord and ways that you and I can uh, uh, increase our relationship with Christ by dealing with our sin and by adopting uh, virtuous uh, actions and ways and means uh, to glorify and magnify the Lord. Let's look at the scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 through 9. Now Deuteronomy, this section in Deuteronomy is all about following the Lord and loving the Lord and doing what he said. Verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. Remember, this is Moses 
on the eastern end of uh, what's now Israel. He is not going into the promised land in Deuteronomy, and he is directing, he, God, is directing Moses to uh, inform the people of the way that they are supposed to live uh, in order for them to be blessed by the Lord. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. So he says, this is what I want you to do. If you do these things, I will bless your life and give you great blessing, long life. Hear, O Israel, verse 3, chapter 6, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, he says it again, verse 4, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and you, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses. And he goes on and on and on. 6, 10 to 15, he continues to speak. Fear the Lord your God, verse 13. Serve him only. Do not test the Lord your God, verse 16. Remember, that was one of the responses that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 to the devil. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. 16 to 25, verse 24, the Lord commanded us to obey all his decrees and to fear the Lord so that you may always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. So chapter 6 of Deuteronomy is a beautiful chapter, three days of just thinking about how you can obey the Lord, love the Lord, follow the Lord. And it's not always easy to do. It's not always pleasant to do. There are sacrifices, self-denial, making hard decisions, self-discipline, perseverance. When we mess up, when we don't do what God says, that's where repentance comes in and receiving the grace of God. On Ash Wednesday, we've got Jonah. Remember Jonah? Jonah is a minor prophet. Jonah is a minor prophet. Remember there are 12 minor prophets from Hosea to Malachi. And Jonah's the one that was swallowed in the whale. Remember that. And Jonah is, has been, uh, has shared the gospel, is sharing the gospel with Nineveh. And he is um, now discussing with the Lord what he should do. Chapter 3, 1 through 4, 11. Go to the great city of Nineveh. God tells him to go to Nineveh. Remember, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And proclaim the message that I give you. He didn't want to do it. That's where he gets swallowed by the, the great whale. This great big fish, probably a whale. He preaches the message and the Ninevites believe. The Ninevites actually believe. The Ninevites say yes. And they called on God. When God saw all that they did and how they turned from the evil ways, he had compassion on them. Verse 10, he did not bring them up in the destruction he had threatened. And Jonah was upset in chapter 4. He was upset and displeased and was angry. He said to God, I know that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity, verse 2. 
And he says, God says to him in verse 4, why, why are you angry? Have you any right to be angry? He's angry. He's upset. Now, during Ash Wednesday, this is a great scripture because he's not in a good frame of mind before the Lord. Perhaps you may find yourself there sometimes. And so he needs to reflect. He needs to hear the word of the Lord. He needs to repent. He needs to tell the Lord that he's sorry. He needs to take stock. Why are you upset, Jonah? Why is this up? Why are you disturbed about this? A great thing happened in Nineveh. They repented of their sins. I'm not going to send calamity upon them. Why aren't you excited about that? So Ash Wednesday is an opportunity to look into our souls and to pray and hear what God is saying to us about the state of our souls. Let's go back to Deuteronomy now. Let's go back to chapter 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to drive, to possess and drives out before you many nations, and then he lists the nations, verse 2, when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, you must destroy them totally. Now the Lord, this is a very tough scripture because the Lord was very serious about the destruction of the people that were in the land because he did not want the Israelites to ally with them in any way and be polluted by their false teaching. Because once their false teaching became part of their life and they began, begin, or if they were to begin to abandon the Lord, that would be very, very, very serious. He says, don't intermarry with them in verse 3. He tells them to break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, turn their, uh, burn their idols in the fire. He said, you are a holy people, verse 6. The Lord has chosen you of all the peoples of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. You are a possession of God. You need to act like this. Know therefore, verse 9, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. He keeps his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Verse 13, he will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. So chapter 7, as in chapter 6, and in, in this is not in the scriptures, but if you read chapter 8, it's very similar. The Lord is telling the people through Moses how he's going, who he is and how he's going to act and what he wants them to do and what he doesn't want them to do and what the consequences thereof are. We are to love God. We are to obey his commandments. We are to fear the Lord. We are to impress his commandments and his will upon others, particularly our family members, that we may do the will of the Lord and be blessed and prosper therein. Let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, well, Hebrews chapter 12, we, fight, we see Hebrews chapter 12 on Sunday. Let's start with Hebrews chapter 12, which there's 13 chapters. This is right toward the end. Chapters, uh, chapter 12, 18 to 29. Verse 22 you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to the God, the judge of all men, and the spirit of righteous men, made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. As you will see in just a few seconds, 
when we look at chapter 1 of Hebrews, we'll see how great Jesus is. Therefore, 1228, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Very beautiful line. Very beautiful line. Let us be thankful. Let us worship God acceptably. Our God is a consuming fire. Take seriously the word of the Lord. Take seriously who he is. He is great, God is. He is mighty. Hebrews chapter 1 on Monday. What the writer to the Hebrews is doing is he is explaining to the Hebrews, these Jewish Christians, that Jesus Christ is significantly better than anyone. We said, just said in chapter 12, he's better than the blood of Abel. Jesus, who he is, what he did, is significantly greater than any of the prophets of the Old Testament, any of the leaders of the Old Testament, any of the traditions of the Old Testament. He supersedes them all. Watch what he says in chapter 1, 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God of the majesty in heaven. Okay? So God is now speaking to us through his son. He is the heir of all things. He made the universe. He is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being. He's sustaining all things by his powerful word. He has provided purification for all sins, and he's now seated at the right hand of God. Extraordinary qualifications. And the rest of Hebrews chapter 1 is how much greater he is than the angels. We must pay more careful attention, chapter 2, verse 1, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation was first announced by the Lord and confirmed to us by those who heard him, verse 3 of chapter 2. God testified it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and the gift of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Okay, this is a great salvation. What Jesus has done for us is greater than anybody can imagine. Do not drift away from the faith. Continue to pursue Christ very strongly. And Hebrews uh, chapter 2 encouraged us to do so. Verse 9 chapter 2. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Taste death for us all, that all of us would see the glory of God in Christ, the greatness of Christ, and follow Christ, particularly as we are going to enter into the Lenten season as we prepare for the death, burial, and resurrection from Christ of Christ from the dead. We want to prepare ourselves for that. And then finally, we look at chapter 12. We go back to Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 14 on Ash Wednesday. Therefore, verse 1, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. Remember, Ash Wednesday is about dealing with our sin. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus 
That's what I just said. Focus on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, which is what Lent's about, ultimately and finally the death of Christ on the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, which I read earlier from chapter 1, verse 3. Make every effort, make every effort, verse 14, to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's a great comment for all of us, to be at peace with all people and to be holy before the Lord. A few scriptures in Titus to round out the week of the last Sunday after the Epiphany. Remember, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and now Titus. Let me share a couple of verses with you, a beautiful chapter by Paul. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. The knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So you need to know something. That knowing something leads you to the truth. And that truth leads you to behavior that is godly. It's a great threesome. You got to know something to get to godliness. What is it you got to know? The truth. The truth is the gospel. And that leads to godliness. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which, is, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And he talks to Titus about the gospel and about people that are going to be called to live out the gospel and share the gospel. I love chapter 2, verse 1. You must teach which, what is in accord with sound doctrine. And of course, that's what we're tr I'm trying to do uh, every week uh, in this program, the Daily Lectionary. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Verse 11 of chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This is our prayer for all of us, that we will live holy, godly, and righteous lives in this time while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us. There's the redemption that we see uh, as we get closer to Lent from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his own, eager to do what is good. And so you want to reflect during the Lenten time as we approach it, are you eager for doing good? Do you want to deal with the sin in your life? Do you want more of Christ in your life? Do you want to increase your faith and your love for Christ? And finally, at the end of this section in the New Testament, Titus chapter 3, he says, Verse 4, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous actions we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. What a beautiful, beautiful way to live your life and in uh, uh, thanksgiving to what Christ has done for us. Titus is only three chapters long. I hope you will enjoy uh, reading the book of Titus. I just had a couple of selections for you, and uh, I think you'll enjoy this 
uh, tiny little book that Paul gives us. John. On Sunday, we have John 12, 24 to 32. He says, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The person who loves their life will lose it. While the person who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Remember I talked about self-denial. I talked about sacrifice in our lives for Christ. It may not be all pleasant, but the person that loves himself or herself and is concerned about their comfort and their agenda and their attitudes and their checkbook for what they want to do, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about doing what Christ wants us to do by losing our lives and following his life and taking his life into our life. Verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Enjoy chapter 12, 24 to 32. Now, John is leading us through the first chapter of John, and we have some beautiful scriptures there. Of course, we begin with the prologue, which is John 1, 1 to 18. One of the most famous passages, certainly in my view, the most famous section of the Bible, the most famous pericope, if I can use that fancy academic word, uh, in the Bible, 1, 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 1. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that was the light of men. So this is a beautiful, uh, John does not have a birth narrative as Matthew does and Luke. And so he has the prologue. So even before time in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Okay? Then the John the Baptist comes along. And they're asking him, are you the Christ? Are you the one that is to come? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And of course, as you know, the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus and John the Baptist, his cousin, six months older than Jesus, baptizes Jesus. I have seen and testified, verse 34, that this is the Son of God. Then he calls his first disciples in 35 to 42 and in 43 to 51, the end of the chapter. Finding Philip, he said, follow me, verse 43. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, Nathanael says in 46. And Philip says, come and see. So we are invited to come and see Jesus as we move inexorably toward Lent. From Epiphany, where Jesus shows himself, we want to see Jesus. Come and see Jesus. Finally, Ash Wednesday, Luke 18. Let's look at that scripture before we conclude our time together. I hope the Lord will bless you abundantly with these scriptures. And again, I hope you have a holy Ash Wednesday. And prayer and reflection uh, concerning what God would have you do to have a holy Lent. 9 to 14, the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, verse 9, and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two people went up to the prey, 
Pharisee, tax collector. The tax collector prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like all these other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. I tithe. The tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his breast. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says in 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Whoever exalts himself is going to be humbled, the Pharisee. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Humble yourself before the Lord. Be contrite, Isaiah tells us. Get low. Confess your sins. Ask God for mercy. Be merciful to others as God has mercy upon you. And have a holy and blessed week of looking at the week of last epiphany. See you next week as we begin our Lenten journey together. God bless you.